Well, we're talking about our summer stuff going on this summer in Discipleship Matters. And this morning we're going to be talking about the definition of biblical counseling and its purpose. And it sounds like a lecture, and I'll tell you this, that my notes, and you're like, how is it going to get done in a half an hour? I'm kind of asking myself the same question. But I have to because I have people lined up with specific topics. So if you don't understand me, you can steal my notes after the service (laughs) if I'm talking too fast. Uh, But we're going to go a little bit uh, quick, and I'm I'm going to explain a little bit but I'm not going to give as many illustrations and not going to give as much, um, I'm not going to explain uh, through all of the, uh, the specific details of all the words and of all the Bible verses that we're using this morning in our notes. Um, I love doing that because it actually explains the text further so we understand it even in today's language. And so it's very important to understand the original language in which it was written. Um, So uh, I'm going to be sharing some of those things. The Lord, uh, knowing that, I've broken a lot of the topics that I'll be talking about today out into individual messages, and and Rob and a few others will be sharing uh, those messages later on as well. But we want to understand what is counseling. Um, Our culture has really hijacked counseling, uh, it was really in and foremost in the church and God's word. Counseling was always that. In fact, the word that we get counseling from came from a, a word in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And we're going to talk about that a lot this morning. Uh, and so I really want to just dive right on into this as we look at it. The word counsel or admonish, by the way, that's what we see most often in the New Testament is admonish. Um, they admonish one another uh, with hymns, and, and you see that in Colossians. We'll read that in a little bit. Um, but we have this idea of admonishment, and it's been hijacked. The word admonish was always not necessarily a bad word. It was meant to speak counsel into somebody's life. And this is how the word was used. It was meant to impart understanding. So when we think about uh, counseling, the biblical word is admonishment, or nuetheto is where we got nuthetic counseling. Um, that's what Jay Adams coined it when he tried to bring back counseling back to the church and realize that. He, he studied this tremendously and, and went through and studied all the different words that had to do with nuthetic or with admonishing or counseling. Um, He did a lot of surveys. In fact, he wanted to see if his biblical principles and ideas about the definition of what counseling should be would work. And so he took over a wing and applied all of this into a psychiatric ward, into a wing that they used to have down in L.A. And he began to use it and formulate it. Uh, What they found is is that once they had 90% of those that were in this ward stayed in the ward. They never left. And then after he spent time teaching God's principles to uh, these people and really instituting uh, what he considered real counseling, uh, they had a 90% success rate. Only 10% came back. Um, And they began to uh, find out some real statistics and some real things. 
Um, and that's what we want to talk about is this idea of counseling. We want to bring it back. It's, it's one of those things that's really near to my heart because when my family was going through a really hard time, when I was five and six and things were really bad, my mom, we were living in Alaska, and my mom needed counseling. She's like, I need counseling. I need to know what to do. I don't know what to do with what's going on. And she's looked up in the phone book and was like, you know, back because we had phone books back then. There was no such thing as cell phones. Um, my kids don't understand that. Cell phones didn't happen until, you know, roughly 20 years ago or 25 years ago. Um, at least ones you could actually carry around with you. Um, we had a friend 30 years ago that had, the, you, know, the, you know, the car one. Um, he paid thousands of dollars for it. It was ridiculous. And uh, now we pay thousands of dollars for our phones. It's like, it's not so ridiculous anymore. But the thing is, she looked up in the phone book and said, I'm, and she's like, I don't know where to go get counseling. She saw advertising for the church, and she goes, well, the church gives good counsel. I'm going to go to the church. And the pastor and his wife began to counsel my mom, and the first time that they met led her to the Lord. She got saved, and then I got saved, and the rest is history. Um, so counseling has a big impact in my life. It's one of the ministries that I always wanted to be discipling young people and training young people and, and helping people who are hurting. It's been on my mind for a lot of years, since I was 10. Um, I wasn't always perfect, though. I ran away from the Lord about the time I was in high school. had some troubling years, and then God brought me back through a series of broken bones and uh, got my attention. I said, oh, yeah, I need to give my attention back to God. And just like we read in 2 Corinthians 3, when I turned my attention back to the Lord um, and I found out there was real freedom in the Lord. And what happened was, was there was this understanding that was imparted to my mom and to me of who we really are and who God really is. The other aspect that we see the word used through the Bible is, is not only during in the Bible, but in the Greek, Roman, and in the, the old uh, Aramaic and Hebrew times. It was to set right someone's thinking. The idea to admonish wasn't to ridicule or downplay them, but it was to help get their thinking on firm ground so that they had a firm foundation to stand on in their mind. And so that was really important, was to do that. And the other thing was, is to lay on the heart. So counseling, the idea, it is biblical. We don't say biblical counseling just because it's in the church. We say biblical counseling because the word and the way it is used, we see it come out of Scripture. It's to lay on one's heart what is right and what is understanding. And here's the, really the idea when we think about counseling. It's the aligning of our will, our desire, and emotions with God, with His purpose, through the leading of His Word and the power of His enabling Spirit. We see this. All three of these aspects have to be present in counseling for it really to be counseling. And that is that it comes... It align, we align our will, our desires with God's purpose. Not only that, but it's through God's word. It's through the leading of God's word that we see God's purpose. And the one that enables us to understand God's word is his spirit. What's amazing is as we see the whole trinity involved or the work of God, the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit is 
vital, important in all counseling. Let me give you a couple of ideas of what we are not talking about. Biblical counseling is not an independent ministry. Biblical counseling and counseling in and of itself and the purpose of counseling has always been God's purpose. It's not an independent ministry. It's not like, and they do counseling over there, and then we have the church. Counseling is, a, is the church. In fact, you'll see a lot of one another's in Scripture where it says, admonish one another. And it talks about lifting up one another and helping one another, supporting one another. All of these are counseling aspects of the ministry. It was always God's intent that the church was always doing counseling. Counseling is not something you do when you just come and visit me in my office. Sometimes we have fun too. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's like the lighten up the moment. I never know when to put those in there, but one of these days I'll get it right. This is not an independent ministry. It's, it's vital for all of us to be a part of. Some of us are good counselors and some of us are not good counselors. And we'll talk about that later. But we're all supposed to be doing counseling. That's why we're talking about it this summer. Not only that, but biblical counseling is not an activity reserved for experts. Jesus called the 12 disciples. None of them were experts in the law. None of them were experts in Greek or Hebrew, except that they spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. And some of them might even have spoke Greek and some of the Roman, you know, some of those things because of trading fish and whatnot. But none of them were experts. But God gave them the command to go make disciples, teaching them to obey all that God had commanded. It was a mandate. It was a commission. It was expected of everyone that called themselves Christians or Christ, little Christ, Christ followers. In fact, before they were known as Christians, they were just known as followers of Christ or the Christ followers, the Christ ones. And we are expected uh, to be all of that. In fact, counseling itself has taken on a, a huge Gnostic flavor. Gnosticism was a heresy that was developed uh, in the area, in the region of, of Israel and north of Israel. And, and it took prominence way down in Alexandria uh, as the Jews migrated down back into Egypt over time. And they set up a wisdom center there in Alexandria. And there was churches popping up in that area. And as the church spread, so did Gnosticism. This is what Gnosticism was known for, was uh, expert knowledge. Knowledge that not everybody had. In fact, this is what they believed, that Christ was not creator, that, the, that he was not God in the flesh, and that Christ was not enough because he wasn't real, that, that there is special knowledge, and the special knowledge supersedes God, supersedes Christ. And this special knowledge is the only way that would lead you to become, you know, and have a relationship with God. So it's all about this special knowledge. And it became one of the big philosophies of the day. And it's not very different than what we see today with counseling. Counseling has been taken over by special knowledge. You just don't understand or you just don't know. And we see that in all sorts of different philosophies, whether it's CRT, social justice, psychology, 
uh, different other pseudosciences and different philosophies. We see it all over the place. In fact, if you don't believe me, there's a great book that you could read called Saving Normal. It was written by Dr. Alan Francis, not a believer. In fact, he's, in, he's the chairman of the psychology department at Duke University and in charge of their whole program. And he was the one that edited the DSM-4, the psychiatric manual, to diagnose people, and this, the DSM-5. And guess what he says? He says, it's, it's crazy, but really, psychology is a pseudoscience. It's not real science. We have, in his book, he, he says, no, you know, nobody wants to tell you, but we have no biological tests that prove any of the things are true in these manuals. This is the head who wrote, helped write the book. He says, now the book is useful, but it, there is no biological markers or tests that prove that these diagnoses, in fact, all of them been voted, that all the symptoms have been voted, so then that way, so there's, it's all subjective. Those are his words, not mine. Also, Greenway, Dr. Greenway, he's, a, he's also the head of the psychology department in uh, Wichita, Kansas, at the Wichita State University. He also says the exact same thing. And he says, we've made theories science, and we stopped focusing on science. We need to get back to science in this realm. And he says it's really done a lot of damage to real counseling. And it's like, it's, it's all of these things. We, Anise and I came in contact with a psychologist when we were adopting kids. We had to be evaluated. Um, and everybody dreaded this part. And we we're like, bring it on. Just come on in. And everybody's like, aren't you scared? You know, and it's like, because friends of ours who weren't believers, by the way, they were told that they could not adopt because they had all these laundry list of issues. And they were the most amazing parents known to man. Um, they were they're just amazing. We had a lot of fun with them. And they were just, they were great. In fact, they've gone on to adopt some kids and they've, they've done an amazing work in the foster care system in uh, California. But here's the thing is this, we came in and he goes, I, and we got the, a different psychologist and, well, we got the same one. We also got another one. And she goes, I hate telling kids, but I am told by the state I have to give them labels. I have to find things in the manual and tell them this is who you are. And I tell them that's not who you are. I have to write something down, but this is not your identity. And she says, it's all subjective. That's what she admitted to us. And I, I, I was blown away because I'd never heard a practicing psychologist admit that. I've always believed that, but I've never heard that. And now the books are starting to come out. It's been now for the last couple years, are being, and the heads of these departments are saying we've been failing by saying something in science when it's not. Now, they don't go, I don't believe, far enough, but they've given us grounds on which to understand that Counseling has been God's design from the very beginning for the human heart and the human mind. And, and we are now seeing people realizing that, the, that this modern philosophy and the modern uh, bioscience or psychology that they're talking about doesn't fit the bill. The third thing we see is that biblical counseling is not an optional ministry. 
It's not optional. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwelling in, sinking down. That's to be in control of. And it says, With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Again, the, the word admonishment there was never meant to be something scary or hard. It was never meant to hurt. It was meant, the word admonishment means to nutheto, or it means to counsel, to counsel one another. It's not optional. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Admonish the unruly. Now that might be, you know, that might hurt a little bit. Uh, if they're being unruly and you confront them, they, they may not like that, right? And we have a choice. When, we're, when we hear truth, we can fight against it or we can accept it. When we accept God's truth, rather than be defensive about the fact that I'm unruly, which I've been known to be at times, uh, don't talk to my in-laws. I don't want too many stories going out, but they have lots. <laughs> I, I truly was just like Kedrick growing up. <laughs> so here's the thing. We don't like being told we're wrong, but the reality is, is we can say, whoa, God loves me, and he's trying to help me be better, or we can be defensive and say, no, no, wait a minute, I'm not that bad, but the reality is we are. And it says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. It's not, it's not just about you know, telling people when they're wrong. It's about lifting people up. The, you know, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I like that. There's an amount of grace that's applied in counseling. Um, we have someone that's going to be speaking about that, about making sure that our heart is right when we do counseling. 2 Thessalonians 3.15 says, Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Talking about somebody that's living in sin. Admonishing him as a brother, that means to do the things that we talked about, to help their understanding, to see God's purpose in life rather than their purpose, to bring them back, to show them, to put their thinking on firm ground, and to help it sink in their heart, to admonish, to teach, to, to lead them. That is, so we see that counseling is not optional. It's also not separate from discipleship. It's two sides of the same coin. We go as you go in life. You're supposed to disciple, make disciples. Baptizing them is how you start, right, is when they get saved. You baptize, they've got a new name. They're now a child of God, not a, a child of this world. They've, they've died to themselves. They're risen with Christ. And by the way, we're going to have a baptism next week again at the, because I'm afraid of that thing. No, just joking. <laughs> but we're going to do it at the river next week. And so we have somebody that's come forward for baptism. And uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but if anybody else uh, has been thinking about and praying about that, um, we're going to be doing it at the river and so contact the office so that way we can meet with you and help you to understand what it is um, and make sure that you're ready for baptism. But we'd love to do more than one, but we have one next week. Also, uh, not only that, but it's not separate from discipleship because we're supposed to then teach them to obey all that God has commanded, to help them walk them through that, help them to understand that. What has God said and how do we live our life based on God's authority in our life? That's part of, of, of counseling. Biblical counseling is not a canned system. This is a big thing. Right now, we have a lot of biblical counselors that are struggling because they've kind of 
they've been through so many lectures, so much of it that it's that it's basically become this canned thing in their life. If I just hand out the right things or I do the right things or say the right things, then people will change. But that's not what biblical counseling is. It's not a canned system. It's a life-on-life activity. It's, it's to speak life on somebody and it's to speak God's life on one another. Not only that, but biblical counseling is not merely giving biblical principles Part of that idea of canned system, it's like if you have all the right biblical principles, you're going to have a great life. No, it just makes you a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees had all the right principles and got it all wrong. So it's not about uh, merely having all the right principles in place, but the focus is on the person to follow. Biblical counseling is more about the person that we are following with our heart that we talked about last week in discipleship. It's about who are we following, not a canned system that's based on good principles. Although biblical counseling has lots of great biblical principles that we should follow, that God has said, do these things. They're commands. But it's not about having all the right principles. It's about who are we following. It's about the person that we follow. It's about Christ. And so now let's talk about what biblical counseling is. Biblical counseling is simply this, being embedded and entrenched in God. It's all about God. It's all about God. Counseling is about the Lord. It's, making, it's allowing God to be the God of your life. It's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Biblical counseling gets its motivations, hopes, content, methods, power, all begins with God according to his word. Colossians 3:10 through 11 says this, and having put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We are recognizing and saying that our life is embedded in God because he is our creator. He knows how we think, he knows how we act, he knows he has created all of our aspects. David knew this when David was writing Psalm 39. He wrote a song about that God created him, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. All the warts and all, all the sin and all. God knew that he was going to be a sinner. God knew the intentions of his heart. God knew all of this. Right? But it's all about God. Biblical counseling gets its motive and its beginning from God as our Lord. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It means you can cast lots, you can pick numbers out of a hat, you can do whatever you want to call throwing the dice, but guess what? God knows the results even before you throw the dice. There's no plan that we can make that thwarts God's plan. See, counseling must acknowledge God as creator of all things, uphold the sovereignty of God, the authority of God, remain confident in God's eternal work in his people. It relies upon God's word for the knowledge, wisdom, and direction, embarking, embracing all of God's uh, characteristics of who he is, not leaving anything out of God. We don't accept partial God. 
We don't treat God like He's just love, but He's not wrath. We talked about that this morning. Or that He is just, but that He is also the judge. Right? He is just and the judge. And He is the justifier. Because He is all things. He is above all things. The other thing that counseling is, is is the exalting of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. The exalting of Jesus Christ starts with the gospel. Right? Counseling is the gospel work. It's not only the gospel work when you get saved, but counseling is the gospel. So we start counseling by sharing the gospel. Not only is it the gospel work uh, that saves your life and puts you on in a right relationship and it rights the ship of your life and puts you in the boat with God and in a relationship, but it not only does that, but it helps you walk and continue to walk in your life. It's that the gospel changes us. The gospel changes every human heart. We can't change the human heart. We can change behavior, but it doesn't change the root problem of sin in our heart, but the gospel does. The gospel is the core message of biblical counseling. It starts there. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 tells us why we exalt Christ. It says, verse 15, He is, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. We exalt Christ because He is the Creator, because He's God. We exalt Christ. Counseling is, is helping people learn to exalt Christ in their life, first with the gospel, continuing with the gospel to continue to exalt him because he is the creator. And he says, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created for Christ, by Christ and for Christ. We exalt Christ because everything is about Christ. It's for him. The problem is, is we've bought into a lot of philosophical systems that tell us that our life is only about what we like or what we want. And the problem is, is that we can pursue what we like and what we want, all we want, all we want, but things deteriorate. Our desires, we're not perfect. Our desires are never going to be perfect. Our wants, our likes are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. We'll buy that perfect car, and then it'll get dinged. You'll fix that perfect car, and then it'll get dinged. Right? It happens. But God, it's all about exalting Christ. He goes on to say that all things not only were created for him, uh, by him and for him, and it says, and he is before or above all things, and in him all things hold together. You know the reason we exalt Christ? Counseling is about exalting Christ because he holds it all together. Without Christ, we have nothing. Nothing is held together without Christ. He holds all things together. And then verse 18, he says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He, that in everything, I like that word, everything. Everything is everything, just like all is all. And that's all that all is. You can't make it anything else, right? Everything that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be the head of all things. He is supposed to, he's the preeminent one. He is the 
exalted one. In fact, Paul knew this, and he wrote in Colossians 1, 28 through 29, later on, he goes this. He said, him, Christ, we proclaim. We proclaim over and over Christ. The word proclaiming there is continually proclaim. Warning, which is counseling, nutheto. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what counseling is all about, is to present everyone mature in Christ. Listen, verse 29, for this I toil. He says, I'm responsible to toil, to struggle, to agonize. It's the word for agonizomai. It's, it's to agonize. It's that what you feel like when you're running a marathon and your body is hurting, but you know that you need to keep going. You agonize. I didn't understand that principle until I had somebody push me further than I ever wanted to go. And all of a sudden it felt good. I was like, that is weird. When I first time, I still remember the first time I felt the runner's high. I was like, whoa, let's keep going. And then after a while, I, my, start, my legs started to give out. I was like, whoops, <laughs> I went too far. But here's the thing. It says, in him we proclaim, warning everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. But look at what he's toiling with, struggling with. Struggling with all Christ's energy, his energy that he powerfully works within me. We exalt Christ in counseling because he is the power to present everyone mature, to change people. Any promise of good and eternal change apart from or in addition to Christ is not a gospel. It's not good news. It's not good counsel. Being enabled by the Holy Spirit. By the way, John 14, Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm going to go away. And they said, heaven forbid, we can't do this without you, Christ. We need you. Uh, you know, Jesus, we need you. And, and he's saying, no, look, I must go so that way that my father will send the helper, the counselor. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, the helper. In fact, in verse 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I will leave with you. My peace I will give you. Not as the world gives do I give you, but uh, I said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Spirit helps us to understand things. The, the Holy Spirit helps us to know what God's Word is saying. The Holy Spirit helps us in our understanding. Not only that, but it helps us in, to produce peace in our life. I love what it says in Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. It, it talks about, In Him also you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And believing in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's a, he is our seal. It enables us to remain in our relationship with the Lord. Not only that, but scoot down to verse 17. He says that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. 
It's God's spirit that he gives us when we are saved that helps to open up our heart to understand and to love God. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't do counseling. Without the Holy Spirit, we, we won't grow even ourselves in our own relationship with the Lord, let alone help other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 12, but in verse 10 he says this, says, these things God has revealed to us, talking about, um, talking about Christ, talking about salvation, that no one understood it, no one knew about it. The Jews, their eyes were darkened. Um, they didn't know the heart of God. But in verse 10 he said, these things God has revealed to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. God uses his Holy Spirit to help us to understand him and understand God's own heart and to, because he knows our heart. Every good and lasting change through counseling that happens, happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's basically the goals that I want to leave with you and all the verses that you can read later and study but that is this. The goal is the same as God's goal. God's purpose is, is in the same. It's to have a surrendered heart that glorifies God. That was the point. In 2 Corinthians, the whole idea behind counseling is found in 2 Corinthians 3. It's amazing that we move from glory to glory, not because of our spirit, not because we are sufficient, but because God is sufficient. He uses his spirit to sanctify us or to, to help us to become more like him, to be able to glorify him. Moses had to put a veil over. They were afraid of, of God's glory. But now we can behold that glory through the work of Christ, through the power of his spirit. In fact, that's always been his goal. In Isaiah, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the whole duty of man is this, is fear God and keep his commandments. It's to bring glory to God. That's the whole duty of man, is to properly value God. The whole goal of biblical counseling, the whole goal of counseling in and of itself, is to have a proper view of God or value, not only view, but value, to value him correctly. What happens is as we rub shoulders with the world every day, guess what? We get distracted and, and it's easy to allow the things of this world to rub off on us and, and we, it's so easy to, to devalue God. It's like, you know, those erasers, you know, those demagnetizers, you know, they would erase uh, tapes and I remember the first time I put my computer through, uh, you know, uh, the X-ray machines. I, I was so I I was like I I just did not want it to go through the X-ray machine because I was like you know back in the day it erased everything right and it was like I was so afraid and fearful, but that's what the world does it it demagnetizes us to our relationship with God it it. We start to value other things, desire other things. The whole goal for God is for us to value him, to glorify him. The second is like that, and that is, is Christ's likeness, to become more 
like Christ. I love what Paul said. It's one of my favorite statements. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 1, it's the 111 passage. If you need, you know, it's not the 411, but it is the 111. And uh, you get to uh, 1 Corinthians 1 or 11, verse 1. It says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Great counseling statement. Only follow my advice as long as I'm following Christ. Right? It's all about Christ. Don't follow me because of whatever, you know, because I can play a king or I have a sword or, uh, you know, don't follow me because of anything other than Christ. If I'm following Christ, then follow me. If I'm not following Christ, then please do not follow me. Philippians 2.5, it says, Have this mind among yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Colossians says, As you've received, uh, Colossians chapter 2, As you've received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up and established in the faith. Right? Well, it's all about Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the purpose of all believers. So what happens when these things are met? There's a growing desire to please God. It's exciting. I remember when I dealt with my sin in high school and I confessed that sin in front of a, a large group about like this. And afterwards, uh, and it wasn't it's not what you think, but I, I confessed this thing and it was like I, all of a sudden I was free. I was going off to masters. I was excited. I was so excited that I stopped talking to my girlfriend and Anissa's parents were excited because <laughs> it was Anissa. And uh, Anissa broke up with me because I stopped talking to her. I was so excited to be at Bible college. I was like, woohoo! It's like I was free. It's like when you, are, when you are glorifying God, when it's all about walking and becoming more like Christ, your desire to please God just is on every, it's the foremost thing in your mind. It, it takes away the guilt. Guilt is taken seriously, just like it did with David. The guilt and shame just goes away. Right? It's not that we never, don't get, just because you do, you know, if you do biblical counseling, that you're never going to be tempted again. No, it just means that, that your desire to please God trumps that. You're like, that temptation is worthless, but my God is everything. Because we have a proper attitude with him. And guilt in our life, we know, is taken seriously. Scripture is used to resist temptation just like it did with Christ. It said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The problem is, is that we like to be selective on that word, right? We don't like the every word part. We just like, oh, yeah, I've read the Bible. It's good. So, you know, so I'm good. That's not the way it works. We're only good... The only thing good about us is that Christ died for our sins, right? That we have someone who is, is our stand-in with God's wrath that paid for our penalty of our sin. It's the only thing that's good. God alone is good. My flesh is bad. It's weak. I need to desire God in Christ. I need to use Scripture daily in my life. There's a, the, what happens when God's purposes are met is that there's a movement from self-centeredness towards serving others. We become more servant-oriented. People have said that. They've noticed that the church has become more and more like a family. 
That's what happens when the gospel is applied to our life every day. Not just because we are positionally saved, because we've, we've responded to God's call in our life and we know that God saved us through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, and now we have a payment for our sin, and, and we're done. Now I don't have to worry about anything else. But no, we use the gospel every day, realizing I'm never going to be great, but God is great. And that greatness is magnified in my life. And the more I do that, the more I realize that I'm really self-centered. And the more I think that way, the more I actually begin to serve others. I, don't, I think less of myself, and I have the mind of Christ in my life. That's really the most important thing. One takes responsibility for personal faithfulness. We realize, just as Paul stated in 1 Corinthians, I love, I'm sorry, not Corinthians, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, I love it. He says, I toil. He makes it his responsibility to proclaim Christ. He says, I toil in this work to present everyone mature in Christ. He's taken responsibility for what he does in his life with Christ and with others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The more that we follow God's principles of counseling and the more that we do counseling, not only we do counseling with people and we grow in that personally, every one of us, growing in that, the more we fulfill God's purpose of glorifying him and becoming like Christ, the more these things happen and the more freedom is. We hear the word freedom in Galatians and in Colossians and in, in 2 Corinthians. We hear that word freedom and we think it's, it's freedom to do whatever I want, but the reality is it's the freedom of guilt and shame and, and we are free, not under the slavery of sin, and the bondage and the effects of that sin no longer. We are under Christ. There is freedom there. There is joy there. There is the fruit of the Spirit. There is gentleness there. There is graciousness there. There is all these freeing things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. But we have to take responsibility to follow Christ. Have you ever thought about that and said, well, what is my purpose in life? And we often miss it because we think the purpose in life is to feel good about ourselves. But the reality is, is it's supposed to be growing in glorifying God. So that way he'll help us through his power to make us mature in Christ. And the more mature we are in Christ, the more we please him. The more we please him, the more we love him, the more we appreciate him, the more we go to his word and we, we take comfort from him. We receive the joy of the Lord. We receive the peace that surpasses all understanding. We see, receive all of those fruit of the Spirit because we're supposed to be in counseling. We're supposed to be growing in our understanding of the Lord. There's a lot here. Biblical counseling is not just a fad that started a while ago. It's always been God's purpose for it to be in the hands, counseling in the hands of the church. 
It's, our, it's a priority that we do together. Not, it, 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 you know, they've gone from one expert to another expert. They think only certain pastors can do it. But that's not true. We're all called to be counselors. And if that scares you, it scares me too. <laughs> right? That's why God's word is invaluable. Glorifying God is invaluable. So that way he is in control of our thinking and our heart. Not me. Not you. But God. God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for all of us who are unruly, <laughs> ungodly, unrighteous. We are not healthy, but God is great. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this timely message that helps us to recenter, refocus, to think about you just like we did when we took communion. And that is that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. We are not sufficient because we have good teaching in the world or there's good systems in the world. We are only sufficient when we are found in you. Lord, you make all things sufficient. Lord, your desire is to take those things in our life that cause pain and anguish and those things that scare us or those things that hurt us and to use it for your glory. The purpose isn't to feel good. Our purpose is to love you. So Lord, I pray that we would grow in that ability and desire to pursue you with all of our heart, soul, and our mind in everything, giving thanks to our Father who is in heaven. Lord, may your name be hallowed. May it be lifted up. May it be about you and not about us. Lord, in all these things, we give you honor and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.